Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. The Colonials have sunk so low that it is no longer possible to argue with them, nor is it necessary. All one needs to do is record what they are saying right now on their news programs. As I explain in Dark Sayings, they play with human labels. They apply identity as a powerful tool for social organization. They invent new ways of labeling people. It's propaganda, a rebranded form of self-divinization, neoplatonism, theosis in disguise, Whether you label me, or you label yourself, or you program your children to label themselves, you are nothing more than what is found in your mother's womb. You are from the ground. You are a land mammal from a colonial society whose language is not found in scripture. Any word you add to me or to yourself that is not found in the text, never mind that you are also bound to use that word according to its use in the text, is under condemnation. You imagine it is harmless to make words up in your postmodern fantasy island until an entire colonial civilization lifts itself up in 2023 to perpetuate the last ghetto of World War II with your tax dollars. Postmodernism is the new theology of atheists, a self-manifested complexity, human artistry, projected as a smokescreen of self-importance and imposed by the West as violence, authoritarianism, and censorship. Or maybe the Germans should ban a public meeting to discuss peace in the Middle East. Tell me, does censorship make the pain go away? Are your sins forgiven? How many more of Elohim's earth mammals have to die? Maybe that's why the proponents of reception history want to keep the canon open, so that they can find new Christs to crucify. In the brightly shining light of the Torah's wrath, the problem is your colonial map. You have no right to draw one. The land and everything in it belongs to Yahweh, our Elohim. Whether Greek conquerors or modern Americans, community builders depend on philosophical identity because the nature of their colonial project 
is to overrun and control locality. Philosophical identity is the cause of all man-made suffering. Please stop telling me who you are, who we are, or who they are. As Paul says, you are nothing. You are dust. We are all God's animals. But the human being uniquely is less than this. He is dust from dust, min afar, scattered to the four winds, only to break bread with the Gentile dogs in Hebron. That's a technical comment, by the way, not hyperbole. Read scripture. Under the Ottoman Empire, you could travel from Cairo to Istanbul to Baghdad without a visa. It was just one complicated community. If you were a Greek in Beirut, you had the Greek community where you run your affairs, but you get along fine with the other communities next door. Well, is that possible? I think so. In fact, I think we should aim to go beyond binationalism. We should erode the borders in the Middle East that were imposed by British and French imperialism for their own interests. They had nothing to do with the interests of the people there. They break up people who are of the same communities in ugly, vicious ways. Noam Chomsky, May 22nd, 2023. Maybe that's why in Genesis, God prefers the fish in the sea over the land mammals. Even now, with all our might, it is practically impossible for man to control or impose colonial borders at sea. That's why Jesus and Luke likes to preach there. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 505 of the Bible as Literature podcast. I was speaking recently at a public gathering. It was a Palestinian gathering, and I was asked to give the blessing and invocation. And in the prayer, actually, you were present, so you heard me. In the prayer, I gave thanks to God, as I've said on this podcast in the last couple of episodes, that so many people in the corporate media are referring to some of God's children as animals. And I explained that this is not a curse for those of us who hear Scripture in God's Semitic, in Hebrew primarily, in Aramaic, and for those of us who are familiar with Arabic, 
who can hear the Hebrew, the consonantal Hebrew, Semitically, who understand that Scripture is a Semitic text. When people refer to some of God's children as animals, those of us who hear Genesis in the original, we understand that this is not a curse, it is a blessing, because we are all God's animals. And I said this in the invocation. I gave thanks to God for this blessing. And one of the things that I explained is that as God's children, the land mammals, the vegetation, all of these are the children of God. They are the brothers and the sisters of the human beings. But the fish in the sea is our elder brother. This is not something that you hear often because people are not reading Father Paul's books and they are not studying Genesis in the original Semitic. But Ha'adam in Genesis was made Asa after the fish, he was made to literally quote Father Paul, Allah the fish, after the pattern of the fish. The sea creatures came first. So there is a parallel. Ha'adam is not the reference point in Genesis. I encourage all of you to make the effort to get a copy of Decoding Genesis and read it carefully. Once you understand what's happening in Genesis, it will change the New Testament and the way you hear the New Testament to such a degree that it will change everything. Father Paul reads Genesis 1 through Genesis 6. Because in Genesis 1, first of all, you know, it's clear that the fish are the elder to the human beings because they're older. <laughs> they came about before the human beings. The other thing is that when it comes to the flood in chapter 6, we always read it through the human's point of view. We can't help it. But if you notice, the only special provision God had to enact was for the land animals, and that includes the birds. And Father Paul always makes a point about this. Yes, the birds inhabit the air, but eventually they have to land. So they depend on land. God didn't have to do anything for the fish. Did the fish even know the flood was happening? We can't get into the psychology of fish on the Bible's Literature podcast, and I don't think we should. But there's no reason why the fish would know. Another point is that the dove went and found this piece of an olive tree. Evidently, God didn't need to put olive trees on the ark either. There's something particularly fragile about the land animals, and that includes the human being. They're fragile. They're younger. They're not the big, tough, macho guys, like Father Paul talks about the machos. They're weaker, they need extra help, and they're younger. In reading 
Genesis 1 through Genesis 6, we have to see human beings in their proper place, which is young and weak and more dependent on God even than the other creatures. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Before we jump into a discussion of the fish, which is what we teed up for this morning, Rich, I just want to mention this word limni in Greek. It refers to not just a lake. Obviously, we're talking about Gennesaret, and you spent some time last week dealing with the etymology of that term. But this is a word in Greek that can refer to a pool or a marsh, and it corresponds to a word in the Septuagint, agam, which is used specifically, the Greek word limni is used specifically in Psalm 113, verse 8, and it refers to the turning of the rock into a pool of water, which is obviously a reference to Exodus 17 and also Numbers chapter 20. And it appears, this theme appears elsewhere in the Psalter. But this word, agam, in Hebrew, obviously, I don't think I even need to mention anymore that so many of these words have a Semitic cognate, let alone an Arabic cognate. Ma'u'ajimen is actually two words that are brought together. The first refers to water, but the second means aggregated or to bring together. So it means roughly water that is pulled together. And this word agam in Hebrew is used throughout Isaiah. It doesn't connect specifically to limni, but if you want to understand the root, it's used to refer to God bringing water together to create marshland, often in judgment for destruction or punishment, or sometimes for life, to create life. And sometimes when he creates destruction, it creates life for some and destruction for others, or he disperses the water, and then there's desolation. But in the specific reference that corresponds to Psalm 113, he is causing water to spring forth from a rock. He's causing life that can bring sustenance, which makes sense within the context of this mashal in Luke, because we're talking about evangelization, meaning he's going to send out his students who are under the discipline of his instruction, his disciples, to go fishing. But this term agam introduces a twist with its link to limni, because the question becomes, do you trust? The people always grumble. Often silence is not obedience. Silence is grumbling. In Exodus 17, yalen in Hebrew is the word that is translated as murmur or grumble. But the idea is you don't have the guts, so you mumble. It's cowardice, which is worse than silence gets worse than defiance. And what's interesting about the triliteral in Hebrew is that it means also to remain or to abide. So it's linked 
to stubbornness. It's someone who keeps overnight. And of course, you have it also in Arabic, lama, which means to blame or to give reproach. And the noun in Arabic, loom, literally means blame or reproach. So the whole thing is linked through the triliteral. It's stubbornness. It is being obstinate. It is simply opposing the will of the teaching. The people are grumbling. They don't trust the instruction. So the pressure is on Moses at Meribah. Do you trust or, as we hear later in the book of Numbers, do you strike the rock twice? So the pressure now is on Simon. But within the context of what Father Paul is explaining to us about Genesis, it's interesting that the reference is not teaching men. The reference is fishing. Which means that as in the case of Genesis, the example is not ha-adam. The example is the sea animal, which means that in Luke, the sea animal is evangelized before the human being. I want to say it twice, and then you can say it the third time, Rich, so that everyone is condemned. The sea animal in Luke is evangelized before the human being. You know, when we were discussing this, Father, to see that the fish was evangelized before the human being, which is so important. You know, Jesus was already surrounded by crowds. He had plenty of other folks that he could have called upon to work for him, to do this job. And he didn't call anybody. He was in a couple major cities in the Galilee, which someone could have helped out. I mean, it's Jesus for heaven's sake. He could have found somebody. But like we said, they were pushing him. They were prodding him. They were trying to make him do the thing. And what I find so fascinating is that he was on perfectly good dry land, in perfectly good towns with synagogues and with people he could teach. And he's pressed and he's pressed and he's pressed until he is at the very end of the dry land. All that's left in front of him is water. All that's left in front of him is Gennesaret. He leaves the land behind with its respective land creatures who are very dependent on the land. And he goes to those very people, the fishermen, who live on the edge of land who are the neighbors of the sea creatures, who depend on the sea creatures for life. We have this word for lake, limni, but we use this word in English in the word liminal. When we talk about something that's liminal, it's something on the edge. Jesus has to leave the edge of the kingdom of the land creatures in order to go with those people the last remnant of people who live alongside, literally alongside the sea creatures, the elders, and depend on them for life. This is where Jesus teaches. First to the sea creatures, then to the land creatures, 
after he was so disappointed by these people pushing and prodding and judging and figuring out and trying to decide on the land. Now, the only exception, they're not land creatures. They're the demons. They aren't land creatures either. The land creatures are the problem. It's so cool that he goes all the way to the edge where he can get right up next to those elders, the sea creatures. Once you take seriously the proposition of Genesis, it unlocks the text in an entirely different way. It's too easy, Richard, to say, oh, this is just a metaphor. And let's pause for a minute. Why fish? What if we said it's like catching rats? What if we said Peter was catching rats? You would all bristle a bit. Why are you comfortable with the metaphor of fish, but you bristle at rats? You can argue that, well, it's different with a fish than it is with a rat. My question is why? Whatever argument you bring forward is a cultural argument. You're just used to the idea of fish because you've been hearing this story and you've become used to it. When in fact, Genesis is belittling you and Luke is following the line of Genesis. You're used to hearing that you are less than the fish to such a degree that you don't notice Scripture is belittling you, just like you're used to hearing National Public Radio, MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News let someone come on and refer to someone else as a human animal. You don't notice it because it's not you. The difference is Genesis is putting you in that position, and what we're doing is helping you understand that it is you. And so first you have to take the insult, then you have to get used to the insult, then you have to rejoice in the insult, then you have to give thanks for the insult, and smile when you are insulted, and then break bread with the prostitute, the thief, and the harlot, and then you will realize what it means to have the body and blood of Christ in fellowship with the poor. And then, as I heard from my beautiful daughter, Dahlia, on the way to school today, we were talking about kids who bully and who say mean things on the internet. And I told her I was surprised that adults still do this. She said, Papa, what are you talking about? Why are you surprised? She said, adults don't grow up. If they did, we wouldn't have war. My kid said that to me. So why are you surprised that other adults refer to people as animals and rats? And then post messages on the internet with slogans like never again. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. So where is Jesus sitting when he's teaching Ha'adam? He is sitting with the sea animals. There's something I want to say in Arabic that I can't say, Richard, because it's very unpleasant. <laughs> There's no room for locker room talk on the Bible as Literature podcast, but that is something. Once you get what's going on, it is something 
that he is sitting with the sea animals lecturing the land animals. Wow. Yeah, he could have taught them from the beach, no? But he wanted to get into one of the boats, which was Simon's, which, of course, you know, we've talked about this before in the other Gospels, but Simon comes from Shimeon, which means hearing. And so he gets into the boat, the one that belongs to hearing, and he presses off and teaches the people on the dry land from the sea. Now, I always heard one of the advantages is that all the crowd is getting in his face. One way is to get is to get out onto the sea and then they can't get in his face anymore. Okay, I can buy that actually. Just like in Genesis 6, the floods, the waters, they don't hurt the the sea creatures. It's only difficult for the land creatures. So Jesus allies himself with the sea, with the fishermen, and he goes out on the boat, and it's from the boat that he's able to teach. He sat down and taught the people from the ship, and the people here is the crowds. We know the crowds are not necessarily reliable. We know they've been difficult to this point. Jesus is still going to teach them, but not in the home of the crowds, but from this safe piece of wood floating out on the sea next to the sea creatures, which belongs to the one who hears. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.